Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today we are joined by someone that I'm going to let Peter introduce to you. So, Peter, take it away. Thanks, Court. Um, well, uh, we, we want to talk today with a man named Nathan Murray, who works for Haywood County EMS and who has been part of coordinating the efforts around the mass vaccination clinics happening at the Haywood County Fairgrounds, now known as the Smoky Mountain Event Center. So if you hear that Smoky Mountain Event Center, don't get confused. It's over where the fairgrounds used to be. In fact, it's exactly where the fairgrounds used to be. I was one of those that was confused. I've heard one person say the fairgrounds, one person say the event center. I'm like, well, which one is it? But uh, I got, I, I've just recently met uh, Captain Murray as well because uh, I've been looking to try to get involved in, in volunteering for these efforts. And last week at the county commissioner's meeting, they were talking about how good of a job everyone's doing over here at these clinics. And they said they need like 100 to 130 volunteers. So sign up. But they didn't give us any information about how to sign up to volunteer. So that sent me on this, this wild goose chase. But eventually I got uh, Captain Murray's phone number. We had a great call. Uh, which we'll talk about in a little while. But I just want to give uh, Captain Murray an opportunity to introduce himself. And um, one of the ways I like to start this off is just to ask, where where did you grow up? What's the name of the road that you grew up on? And what was it like growing up there? But you could give us just a general introduction as well. Yeah, so my name is Nathan Murray, uh, uh, Captain Murray with Haywood County Emergency Services. I, my role with the county is... Um, kind of twofold. I uh, work primarily in emergency medical services, but we also are part of the command staff for emergency management within the county, and we, we serve in both of those roles. Uh, I am a Haywood County native. I grew up in uh, the most beautiful place on the planet, which would be Bethel, uh, specifically on Murray Road. Uh, my family have lived there or in the area since uh, really before the Civil War. Um, one of my family members was the the sheriff of Haywood County back in the 1840s and uh, I had family members that of course served in the war itself and uh, we've more or less been here ever since. Um, I also am a, uh, a fill-in pastor uh, through the Baptist Association. I was a pastor here in Canton uh, for a couple of years at one of the local churches uh, and still try to serve in that capacity and um, so, so my life entails both, and uh, I see the, the recent events, of course, an opportunity to um, kind of walk that, that line in between uh, both the, what I do as a primary job and, uh, of course, utilizing my faith as well. So thank you. Nathan, can I, can I call you Nathan? You can call me whatever you like. Captain. Just, just not late to <laughs> just dinner. Just call me Nathan. All yeah. right. Uh, well, I want to bring our listeners kind of into the conversation that we had initially on the phone because I felt, I think we both felt like there was a real spiritual moment there where we acknowledged the, the powerful connection between our faith and the work we're doing now in terms of uh, addressing this pandemic. Uh, and so for our listeners, one of the things that, that comes to mind for me and the reason that I put myself on this search to figure out how to be a part of these clinics um, is that, you know, you've heard people say that we're in an unprecedented moment in our history as far as this pandemic is concerned. Uh, 
And that may be true for us in, in our lifetimes. But, um, you know, when we study the scriptures, especially the book of Acts, especially the gospels, we see Christians and the disciples of Christ caring for the sick. And, and sometimes the scriptures are not enough. We also need to study the history of the church. And what we find is that um, the first pandemic that Christians had to deal with was not COVID-19 in 2020. Actually, it was in the 4th century, it was measles that hit the Roman Empire and killed up to 30% of the people. And the, the way that, that the Roman Empire and the, the pagan culture at the time addressed pandemics, which there was very little information about, was basically just to flee to the hills. But in the midst of this empire, the Christian community decided, you know what, no, we're going to take care of people. We're going to provide for water. Sometimes people were just left by their families, and they would have survived if they had just been provided food and water. Uh, but some of the early uh, nursing techniques, things like hydration, things like providing warm blankets, wound care, those techniques were developed by early Christians who decided, we're going to care for people no matter what their faith is. And, the, and what happened was, People saw that, and that was the witness of these early Christians. And so I see the work that Nathan Murray and so many others are doing as perfectly in line with the, with the Christian tradition of, of caring for the sick. And uh, so we got to talking about that, and it just felt like he was in, in many ways coming from a similar perspective. And, and I want to give you a chance to respond to that. And for you, you, you mentioned that you uh, have served as a, as a Baptist pastor and minister and that you're also in, in work in this official capacity with EMS. How do you connect those two or how do you understand those two being intertwined for you? So a shorter way of asking that for our listener is where is the intersection between your faith? Or where does faith guide the intersection between your two roles as pastor and captain at Haywood County EMS. Um, so this may be a little bit of a lengthy response to that because, um, like I said, I grew up in a very uh, strong Christian home, uh, have never really known anything other than you will go to church, <laughs> whether you want to or not. It was just never an option for my family growing up. Mm -hmm. Um and there were some interesting turns uh, when I was younger, specifically in my teenage years. Uh, my father was also a, a Baptist minister. And uh, abruptly, somewhere again through my teen years, uh, they, they left the Baptist faith and uh, actually began participating in a, a non-denominational church in the area. Um, being a good, staunch Baptist and having been raised so, uh, I rebelled against that for a very, very long time, but eventually, uh, given time and given some wisdom and some love from, from the pastor there, uh, I, I came around to my senses and uh, I, I hesitate to say embrace the full gospel heritage. Uh, I'm just not closed to the, to the opportunities that could potentially be there if the Spirit so chooses. Um, and that really led me into college to uh, begin attending Bible seminary and uh, served as a medical missionary in, in Nicaragua for about a year. 
um, simultaneous to also beginning my education as a paramedic uh, in the civilian world. And uh, I must say, when I began working as a civilian paramedic, um, a lot of my, my life I felt as if the, the two callings, the calling to be a minister uh, and my chosen occupation were duplicitous. Um, they, they, what does that mean? It just means that, um, you know, a lot of my coworkers, a good example of that, uh, a lot of my coworkers couldn't fathom why I would be a paramedic and be a preacher or a pastor as well. Hmm. Um, they, they didn't understand for whatever reason, they don't seem to coalesce or fit well together. Um, you know, it, it, and again, to myself, it seemed kind of odd and, and strange that the Lord wouldn't lead me to fully embrace one or the other, but kind of allowed me to, to uh, work in both ways. Hmm. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of maturing. Scripture says that we're, we're, uh, we're changed from glory to glory in the process of sanctification through life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, while we are justified at salvation or conversion or whatever term you want to use for that, uh, it's really the process of sanctification. It's the growing in Christ and learning and changing from glory to glory. Uh, that salvation is really a, a process more than a, a single event. It's so rare that you hear a Baptist say that, <laughs> speaking as a Baptist, but it's refreshing because that's, I mean, I'm with you, and so was Paul. Again, that's maturity that I, I would not have known then, but I have just kind of learned to embrace, and uh, I believe uh, inherently that it's scriptural. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say all that to say this. A long time I struggled with that question. You know, wh- where do I fit? I always felt like a misfit. Um, you know, pastors, they do a lot, and, and they're very, very focused with their work. Uh, my father was bivocational, so I saw the struggles that he went through, uh, and it did not leave a very endearing mark on me. Hmm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I, I kept on. Uh, being a paramedic certainly paid, paid our bills. Um, I have a family. I've, I've went back to school, and eventually it culminated in an undergraduate degree uh, through Western Carolina University in emergency medicine. Uh, and eventually, over the course of about seven or eight years, uh, a doctorate in sacred studies from Christian Life um, Educators Network in Columbus, Georgia. So um, I loved both. It, it's strange, but I loved both. And it was only through maturity and specifically a very, very good, wise uh, friend of mine. He's probably 75 or so now, uh, who I met about five or six years ago. And he said the most profound thing to me when we met. Um, And he said, Nathan, your two roles are not duplicitous as you think. at the root of it, it's a heart and it's a desire to serve. And he said, I see no mismatch in that whatsoever. He said, the, the heart of the matter, the spirit that lives on the inside of you, is really what drives you to be passionate in both areas. To not war against it any longer, but embrace it and realize that uh, you can serve God's purposes as a paramedic or as a uh, a trash truck driver, or a policeman, or a millwright, or whatever the case may be, that not everyone's called really to be a pastor per se, uh, 
but we are all called into the ministry. Uh, and we are all ministers in our own right. And it is possible to, uh, I hesitate to say, use the word evangelize, so to speak, but it's really in the, um, it, it's really in the process of, of walking out your faith, living every day in your faith that does the speaking for you in many, many ways. I'm very glad that you said that because, in my opinion, is the perfect lead-in to the scriptures that I would like to address today. They come from Romans 4. Now, Paul is talking to people and brings up Abraham, and the reason he does so comes out quite quickly. I'm going to start with verse 14 and then go to 15. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it, is the, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. The reason I think this is the perfect lead-in is because here Paul is giving Abraham as the example who acted in faith, which is exactly what you were talking about. You have this this heart for something that comes out through your actions no matter what you do. I don't mean no matter how you act. I mean no matter what your vocation is. And he brings up as an example someone who existed in faith before the law existed. So it's not about following this rule. It's not about, although, I mean, the rules matter. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of the law. But it's not about uh, doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts. It's about where is your heart? Where is your faith? Mm -hmm. And I love that Paul brings up Abraham as an example because in any objective sense, he was a horrible example of what we should aspire to be as a human being. Mm -hmm. But he acted in faith. Mm -hmm. And that is what brought about his heroic status as a, as a leader in our faith. What do you guys think about that? Well, um... I, I think it's a really good example because we're talking about Abraham uh, who uh, our, our colleague Gordon told me yesterday was his name means father of many, but he only had two sons. So his whole life he was living, you know, like he was living like with this big title, but not much to show for it. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, oftentimes those of us who feel called in two different directions uh, kind of like go through life wondering, am I doing the right thing here? And so I love that you use the word bivocational because so many people throw that around, especially for Baptists, uh, as like, oh, well, this person just does two jobs or this person's got a day job and works as a pastor on the weekend. But what I heard you explaining, Nathan, is that the real sense of calling in both of them, meaning like, you're, you're pulled towards and in both directions. Uh, and Abraham was the same way. He didn't have a law to follow. He just had to follow the calling. And um, I similarly feel sometimes called in two directions. And the space that, that you're able to occupy because of those two callings, like you said, provides an opportunity to evangelize in two different directions. What I mean by that is, um, as a person of faith, you demonstrate 
your faith through the work that you do in EMS. Which is helping others, yeah. But as a person who is working in EMS, you demonstrate what it means to serve as a Christian to Christians who may be just sitting on the sidelines. And I wonder, have you had opportunities where you've seen that happen, where you've had opportunities to talk about and explain the way that you are working to Christians or to your your colleagues in paramedics? Yes, I can. In fact, um, I'll give you a, a, a very specific example. Uh, I have worked for Haywood County since 2003 uh, and have been in, in emergency medicine proper since about 1998. Um, but from the years 2015 till 2019, roughly four years, um, I've been in supervisory roles over half of my career. Uh, but in this particular role, I was actually uh, one of the supervisory staff for the critical care transport team uh, at Mission Health. Um, large organization, uh, it, you, you take the issues of, of our local EMS service kind of serving Haywood County proper and mutate that by all of the western counties in, in North Carolina. Uh, so it was a unique job pool of people, uh, many of whom I can't just outright say were Christians. Um, in fact, there were very, uh, a lot of them that were outright agnostic or atheist and certainly claimed to be so. Um, they all knew that I was a pastor. They also, of course, knew that I was a paramedic and, and, uh, was an expert, I guess, if, if you will, in emergency medicine simply because I'd been doing it longer. So they they respected me on that level, but as their supervisor, uh, through the course of that those four years, they began to trust me, even the agnostics and, and, and the atheists, uh, and it was curious. I've told my father this and told several other people that while I didn't have an official title as a pastor at that time, the workplace essentially became my church. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean that very literally, and I think uh, a lot of the people there would agree. And usually it would come in the form, we, we worked two 12-hour shifts, uh, an AM shift and a PM shift. And usually there toward shift change, we would have kind of uh, all the ambulances would be busy and uh, maybe there were two or three people at the base and every single day there was a moment uh, where the, the door to my office was closed and uh, people opened up their hearts and they opened up their spirits and they wanted to talk on a multitude of issues on a multitude of levels uh, and here's the thing I didn't pull out the Bible and, and give them scripture uh, Literally, the ministry came from my character as a Christian, mm -hmm. of someone who could be trusted, uh, of someone who would, would not uh, go behind their back and, and try to destroy them, to be their defender if it was an issue with another boss or something like that. Um, never compromising your faith, of course, but you really minister out of being a good person. Mm. I mean... Sometimes that is such a rare quality in life. Uh, and, and we tend to demonize even other Christians to some degree. But it, it's not about a battle. It's simply about living out your faith. Hmm. The very things Christ taught us to do, to love one another. 
Uh, in fact, the defining principle of a Christian is Jesus says it very plainly in, in John before uh, or at the end of the Last Supper. You know, people, the world, will know you by this one characteristic. They will know that you are my disciples by this one characteristic, and it's how you love each other. Uh, if you want to use lofty King James, how you love one another. Uh, we tend as Christians to look at that and think, well, Jesus was specifically mentioning Christians to Christians. But I don't believe that's necessarily true. That is an element of it. Uh, but Jesus says how you love one another, how, you, how well you love the world around you. That do, hear me out. That does not mean you compromise your, um, your beliefs. That doesn't mean you, you compromise. I know there's a lot of social issues on the table that are very, very divisive. Um, I'm not talking about that, but we are called as Christians to love the world around us, not to try to be of the world, but love them. And that will be the defining characteristic of whether you're a Christian or not. Um, I think, at least I hope that that answers your question to some degree. I, I think, I mean, he asked the question, so I don't want to answer for him. But one thing I, I for sure believe is that it really addressed the verses we were talking about because specifically when you said uh, we tend to want to demonize one another that's what happens when we are all about the law absolutely we use it as a way to beat one another to death mm. and when we just step back and love each other and help one another like you said not because we're all christians together because we're not but because we are all God's children on this earth together, that's what happens when we live out our faith. And I think that is, that is exactly what Paul was talking about. And so I appreciate you bringing that practical example of scriptures that a lot of people don't really look at enough, in my opinion. Um, I want to turn to the specific work that you've been doing recently with the vaccination clinics. I had an opportunity to participate yesterday as a volunteer, uh, just like last minute. I was like, okay, I got four hours, let's go. Um, but one thing that stands out to me now as, I'm re as we're reading this scripture together and as you're talking is, uh, you know, for Paul, when he referred to the law, he was talking about the first five books of the Bible. And so I think it's significant that he says that, you know, Abraham was functioning outside of the law, before the law. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, you know, Wild West kind of thing, but he had to just follow that calling. And as we respond to this coronavirus, a lot of people are looking for, well, what are we supposed to do? But the, the truth is that with something so new, we just, have to, we just have to follow our gut and our calling and our guidance that we feel like this is the right thing to be doing. And I see you doing that. And I want to say that from my experience yesterday, I really got a sense that even though I wasn't sharing the scripture, I was participating in sharing good news because people, I was, I was uh, welcoming people who were coming in, doing the traffic, you know, getting people checked in. And these are people who have been waiting for months to get this vaccine. And to hear, okay, you're on the list for today. This is what you need to do. When you leave here, you're going to have your first dose. You're going to have your vaccination card. I mean, I could, I could see the relief on people's faces. 
And, and sometimes we make the gospel too complicated. The truth is that the good news to people who are afraid is that you won't have to be afraid anymore. And, um, and that's what I saw playing out yesterday. So I wonder, in the, in, in the space of these vaccination clinics, when there's a lot that is just not written down that you kind of have to make decisions, um, how have you seen, uh, how, have you, how, have you, how have you made decisions? How have you tried to sort out what's the right thing to do in a space where there is no quote unquote law per se, because it's all so new? All right, I'm going to approach that from from two angles, and maybe again this demonstrates the beauty of uh, of uh, kind of where I'm at in life. Number one, regarding the scripture that we're talking about, um, if, if you've been in church any length of time, we certainly all know the the children's song, "Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so." Uh, we all know it by heart. Our kids know it by heart, and and. I just want to challenge you to think basically what Paul is saying in, in this passage of Scripture. Uh, does Jesus exist? Did Jesus' atoning work on the cross, the, the uh, forgiveness of the sins, the, uh, the giving us eternal life, did those events happen because the Bible says they did? Hmm. Or... Just hypothetically speaking, what if the Bible were never written to account those events? What if miraculously over 2,000 years, uh, the scriptures that we hold true today were suddenly lost for some reason? Would that change the fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sins? Uh, we're very fortunate and we're very blessed and frankly it's a miracle that we have these 66 books in front of us. But if for some crazy reason that didn't exist or we didn't have a song that uh, for the Bible tells us so, it wouldn't change the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Hmm. So a lot of times we get very, very angry and upset over the scripture itself, uh, the law itself. But in the spirit of what Paul is saying about Abraham in that moment, uh, Abraham didn't have the benefit of a scripture. He didn't have the benefit of a law book to go by, a, a do's and don'ts, a this and thou. Uh, it didn't exist, yet he still had faith. Mm -hmm. He still had faith in a process that hadn't completely been worked out or written out. Uh, and he went to work, or he, he went to work basically expecting a paycheck. And we all know what faith is like. Mm -hmm. if, if you take a new job, uh, everybody gets paid on a scheme. Some some folks get paid weekly. Some people get paid bi-weekly or monthly or whatever the case may be. But when you're hired for a position, you go to work with a, uh, a promise of a paycheck in, let's say, two weeks. You don't, uh, you don't get to go to work the very first day, the very first hour, and say, well, I want a payment in advance. It doesn't work that way. You have to go to work and you put faith in, in the company or the boss that in two weeks you're going to receive a paycheck. The beauty of Abraham's faith is he went to work. He didn't have a script to follow. He just put faith in, in God. Uh, and here's the crazy part, and, and you'll read this later in Hebrews when you get in there. Abraham lived his entire life and never received a paycheck. Yet he died in an orientation 
of, of reaching forward, if you will, to the promise of the cross. It will be thousands and thousands of years later before that actually came to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yet he had that faith, and it's somewhat damning for us even as, as Christians today who have every book and every resource, and we have Scripture in front of our face, yet we live in an attitude sometimes that we have the ability to look back at the cross. 2,000 years back at an event that happened that's fully recorded in front of us, and yet sometimes we're the most fearful uh, and scared people on the planet because of a work that's already done and is already accomplished. We have all the reasons in the world to be stand strong in our faith and be courageous and to wade out into these other areas of life uh, such as a vaccine clinic, such as going to a hospital, such as going to the mission field with confidence and faith because the work has already been accomplished. Um, it's already been done. So there's the preacher hat. Now I'm going to kind of change hats to answer um, Pastor Peter's question, or at least attempt to. So there, there's obviously a physical need that uh, needs to be met. And, and Part of the reason Pastor Peter and I connected so well in a very short amount of time is because we have the same philosophy on that. Um, throughout the last 2,000 years, the church has been the primary institute that has stepped into the gap, particularly in areas of human suffering. Mm -hmm. um, governments fail. They, they all fail. I mean, look through history. There's very few that are still standing that existed 2,000 years ago. People fail, nations fail, governments fail, um, and every single time that happened, the church stepped into the gap and built hospitals. They cared for the poor. Um, educated they doctors. Ed educated doctors, fed, fed laity, uh, fed and took care of widows and orphans and so on. I mean, we have such a rich history in doing that. Um, you could go back to the Spanish flu. You could go back to the, uh, the Black Death in, in uh, the Middle Ages in Europe. And it was the church who waded into that cesspool of disease without protection. And they cared for the people who needed it the most. Um, and I see this today as an opportunity, despite all of the um, uh, the hype around it and, and the controversial views and everything um, for the church to really wade into that uh, and to help. And going back a few months when we really began to do this and uh, see the need for volunteers, I just mentioned it. Of course, my it's just my heart as a pastor and, and scratching my head to somewhere. And I was basically asking this question, where's the church? Where's the church? You know, we depend on the government, but we, we've got a global problem. So our normal avenues of reaching to the state government to send us resources and help, uh, that doesn't work when everybody has the same need. So we really kind of had to look inwardly uh, to, to people and volunteers within our area to serve in those capacities. And that question kept going over and over and over in my head, where's the church? Where's the church? Where's the church? So I pitched the idea um, to, to our county leaders, and I said, look, clearly we need volunteers. Um, I know people in, in this realm, and I would be happy to, to go around and speak and, and try to begin to, uh, 
to gather volunteers from, from church groups. Um, and that's worked to some degree. Of course, I started with those folks that I knew best, the pastors in, in my circles of friends. Uh, also, those churches that would be um, are, are kingdom-minded in a lot of ways. Um, guess what? They don't share our denomination. Uh, they don't share our, our necessarily our view on quote unquote Christian doctrine or law, um, but they're willing to come out and they're willing to help. Um, of course, like I said, I'm a Baptist. I don't think I'll be a Baptist in heaven. <laughs> uh, I'm a Christian first and foremost, and uh, I believe in the truth of the gospel. And uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm your brother, and I'm you know happy to help. So um, reached out to, of course, the Methodist. Uh, the largest one close, close by was Long's Chapel um, through our Baptist Association and some of the larger churches. And it's been interesting. Um, the smaller churches have sent the most people most consistently. And I'm, I'll specifically call out Crabtree Baptist uh, and Pastor Josh down there. He's got a group of about five or six people that have been faithful to attend from the day they were invited, and they have made a tremendous effort and a tremendous uh, difference in, in the process. So throughout all that, I met, um, I think by God's sovereignty and, and His purpose and His will, uh, Pastor Peter over here, and, and here we are today, some three or four days later, and uh, I think it's great. I don't want to take too much more time, but I do want to throw this out there. Um, in the process of doing that, we, we actually got a couple of volunteers from a source that I would have never dreamed or imagined they would come from. Uh, it was a couple of Mormon sisters. And, uh, of course, my, my initial carnal instinct to that was, oh, wow, I don't know about that. Um, but in our governmental capacity, obviously, I can't turn away help. Um, and... I let them come. Come to find out, one of my pastor buddies had actually sent them my, our way. And uh, they were awesome. They were incredible. Um, one of them actually moved this week, but another and, and her new sister is going to come back. Uh, they're younger, younger girls. And uh, they obviously picked up the technology very, very quickly and, and went to work. And uh, their attitudes have been wonderful. And I, I couldn't ask for any better volunteers. Um, this is an ongoing need. This is a, a marathon, not a race. And um, we got a long way to go. We've, we've managed to vaccinate about 15% of the population here in Haywood County. And uh, there are 63,000 permanent residents in this county uh, all year long. Let me just say uh, on, on that note that that's ahead of the national average, yes, pretty sure. And in case you were wondering, you know, some people are talking about, oh, the lines and everything like that. You hear about this on the news at vaccination clinics around the country, people waiting in four-hour lines. But the system that I've seen in Haywood County with my own eyes I've, and people who have been, who are from my church who have been through, are going through in 40, 50 minutes. And that's including 15 to 30 minutes of just waiting to see if they have any kind of adverse reaction. Um so the system we have in Haywood County is exceptional. The space is, I mean, I was just in the volunteer. I was like, there's a line for everything here. They figured out everything that could go wrong and they have a way of addressing it. 
Uh, and I, I just want to give my compliments to you and to the rest of the team that's been uh, working to working out in, you know, in the absence of a rule book on exactly how to do all this has worked out a method that is really functional and is serving the, the county well. So let me ask you this. So I am in my capacity here, I do a lot of volunteering with food distribution and we got a call from somebody in the in the county government that said if you're giving out food you need a vaccination. I said, okay, well let me call them and get on a list somewhere. Well that's all I've heard about it. So so how how do you go from I meet the category of people that need to be vaccinated to actually getting a vaccination. Do you just show up at the fairgrounds? I wouldn't think that would No, be. no, no, no. So the the process that we've again, I just want to preface what I'm about to say with this. None of us have any idea what we're doing. Well, guess what? We're, yeah. we're we're human. Uh we're human. We, none of us at least in this lifetime have lived through a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um so everyone is is learning a process. And to Haywood County's credit, our, our command staff had really created a contingency plan, is all it was, for um, a, a mass vaccination effort. So we literally pulled that off the shelf and uh, we put it in place. Now, there has been a huge learning curve. Every single time we do this, we learn something not to do mm-hmm. or something to do better. And uh, so the process that, that Pastor Peter saw yesterday even then wasn't foolproof. We had issues yesterday morning, um, but the, you know, it worked. We, we go through it and we, we adjust to changes and, and make it work. So how that works, initially it was more or less a lottery. And of course we're trying to work in particular age groups, follow the state and the CDC guidelines, and they've chosen to, to issue that out in the terminology is phases. So phase one, for example, would have been those folks that are highest risk, uh, those in skilled nursing facilities, our congregate care, uh, and of course our frontline healthcare workers. Um, Since then, we have moved into more of a general bracket, including 75-year-olds and older. Uh, We have moved even further down and we're working in the 65-year-old group or older, and uh, we just got word day before yesterday that we're going to go even into the next group, which will include our public uh, and private school staff, teachers, and so on. So um, how that works, you there's a registration form on the county website. Uh, depending on your age group, you'll go on there, fill out the form. That's haywoodcountync.gov slash vaccine. Correct. Good job. He, he's on. Have notes, ladies people, <laughs> that was extemporaneous. People have been asking me for this information, so I, let me repeat that. It's haywoodcountync.gov, or you can call if you're if you have trouble with a website, you can call eight two eight three five six two zero one nine. I believe that's right. It, it's actually two eight one nine. But I'm so very impressed very impressed. Very impressed. Three five six two eight one nine. Okay. Yep. So um, those are the two ways to really get the process started. Uh, initially, you know, obviously 75-year-old group, 65-year-old group, that's a huge portion of our, our population. Um, so that goes into a database, and initially we were doing more or less a lottery draw. Uh, we would say we have 500 vaccines for today. The computer generates randomly 500 names, spits them out, 
and then those people get appointments to be there at a given time, at a given day. Uh, do they do that? Absolutely not. Um, older folks tend to show up early because that's just what they do. So we've had them come, you know, sometimes an hour and a half to two hours early. That's really, really, really unnecessary. Uh, I appreciate and applaud your ability to do that and to be early and to be punctual. And many of you come from military backgrounds. So I applaud you on that. But in this particular case, uh, it really does no good. You're not going to outgame someone. You're not going to get in front of someone by being first. So just mind your appointment time. Uh, it's time of day, and, and I promise you it goes really, really, really well. Uh, so we've actually done away with the lottery drawing, and we're actually doing them now in order of registration. Um, so if you're in a 75-year-old group and you registered number one, obviously you're going to be on top of the list. If you've registered number 5,432, you're going to be number 5,432. Um, again, we don't know what we're doing. We want to be fair, good, decent human beings mm -hmm. and uh, Christians. I mean, it, it just makes sense that you want it to be fair and you want it to be just and you want it to be above board. Is it a perfect process? Absolutely not. Are there people who have tried to game the system? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I, I told Pastor Peter that um, we've seen the best of humanity, largely the best of humanity, and we have seen the absolute worst of it. Just like a church. Just like a church, absolutely. So, um, you know, there are challenges with it, but the process works well. We're making very good progress. Uh, in fact, does it really matter how you feel about persons or specific people uh, politically, but Governor Roy Cooper actually mentioned in a Facebook post last week, Haywood County and our efforts here as being something to be applauded. So um, again, and I want to stress this, being the person who really gets the volunteers, um, our command staff consists of, it did consist of five people, now it's down to four due to a retirement. Um, we're four people. Come on, we're, we're four people. None of this effort would be possible were it not for the volunteers who come and serve. So and, and I mean that with all my if heart. If any, anybody listens to this and wants the volunteer, do they just call that same number? They can call that same number. Um, there's a little bit of nuance with the process. For the church groups, I have, uh, and really all the volunteers at this point, they can contact me directly. And I will give you that email address here in a moment. Uh, they can call me directly, and uh, basically what I do is take your, your, your information. It, it's helpful to have your phone number and your email address if you have one. And I will put you in, it, it's an Everbridge mass distribution network. Uh, basically, it's a call list. Um, a lot of churches use one call or something similar. It's like that, but basically I can send out polling messages. So if we have a vaccination clinic on a particular day, I'll usually send out a message, it will have my name on it, and you simply answer yes, no, maybe, whatever the options are by pressing one and hitting send on your, your cellular device, and uh, that, that tells me whether you're going to be there or not. Um, it, so it's pretty simple. The only kind of outlier to that is if you are a clinician and you are desiring to give the vaccinations itself. There is a different process because those folks have to be vetted. 
Um, to make sure they're. It's interesting trained. they use the word vetted because we've actually had vets who want to give vaccinations. In theory, that shouldn't be a problem. You mean veteran or veterinarian? Vet, veterinarian, yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, we, we get all kinds of folks that are interested in that, and they have to be vetted through, through the state process. Those instructions can be found at the Haywood County uh, website as well. There's a different form you fill out. Fill it out. It basically does a background check uh, and will spit a result back in three to four weeks. So if, if it's clinical stuff that you desire to do, there is a mechanism for that. Uh, it's just not quite as timely as and efficient. 80% of, of our efforts there are, they're, I hesitate to use the word laity driven, uh, but we've got logistics. We've got um, uh, an entry and exit point group. We've got traffic control. We've got folks in observation. We've got folks that can put in uh, computer data. There's a million other jobs, 80% of which are non-clinical in nature. So there's plenty of work to be had, plenty to do. Uh, as Peter found out yesterday, <laughs> uh, it gets crazy quick, and uh, we're, we're glad to take any and all help that you're willing to provide. Get a group of the so we want to, yeah, we want to be supporting you in this effort, and, and we, do, we do consider you a role model, Nathan, because, uh, you know, like we've been reading, you know, Chris, and what, like you said, Christians need to, to, to wade into the fray when there is no law. And, and follow and, and, and try to uh, and try to to serve in the, you know in the way we feel led and the way f we feel called and uh, we we're, we're not starting from scratch you, like you said there's a protocol there was a um, uh, th you've been developing these policies as you go and uh, you know from my ex my limited experience as a volunteer I can say that uh, this is really good work. Obviously, this is an opt-in thing for vaccines. So you're working when, when people are coming through. You're working mostly with people who are really happy to be there. Yeah. You know. So uh, as far as a volunteering opportunity, I really want to encourage all of our listeners to consider this and to help us get the word out. And uh, we will try to uh, provide that information through the mission, Canton Missional Network as well to try to make sure you get the continuous support that you need um what else can uh can we do to support you i think that's wonderful you know there are some churches this a little bit aggravates me to some degree but particularly baptists uh we're mission-minded um that that tends to be our focus but i've seen in american culture a lot of times that translates in you you have a mission need of whatever we, we tend to like to throw money at things mm -hmm. rather than actually go and do the work. Um, and while that has value and it has importance, um, be, being a missionary myself changed my life fundamentally. To actually go and do the work of the ministry uh, it was a game changer for me. So while finances are great, there are some, some churches that have opted to you know provide a meal for all the volunteers for the day or... Um, you know, gift bags or something like that. Those are all valuable and needed, and certainly we appreciate those things. Uh, but at least my heart as a pastor, uh, it gets more, much more excited to, to actually see people show up and do the work. Being the hands and feet. Yes, and I just want to throw this one thing out there. I know we're ending on our time. Uh, I go back to Jesus' words when uh, the, he fed the 4,000. You know, there were a couple instances in Scripture where uh, this story was recorded, but in one, uh, there were 4,000 people there. It was the end of the day, and 
uh, as disciples typically do, guilty as charged, I am one. Um, there was this panic that set out. You know, there it's late in the day, Jesus. You need to shut up. There's four thousand people here. They're hungry. They could easily transition into a mob. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And in a way, Jesus can school you like no other. He he says a couple of interesting words that have just really really hit home for me. He turns around and he looks at them and he says, "You feed them." Hmm. You feed them. And of course they're young and they're immature and they don't fully comprehend what is going on. But those three words are very, very powerful. Now ultimately we know the rest of the story. Jesus has to uh, perform a miracle. He, he does the work himself. But even in those three words, Jesus is trying to begin to teach his disciples, no, I'm going to empower you to do the work. I'm going to empower you to do the ministry, and you're going to have to be willing to go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Nine times out of ten, that doesn't come supernaturally. That simply comes by you getting off the couch. That simply comes by you putting forth the effort to go down to a soup kitchen, to go down to a vax clinic, not necessarily always to go to the, to the foreign mission field, to go to your neighbor's house and deliver some cupcakes. You feed them. It's our job as the disciples of Christ to feed and care and to clothe and just be good disciples to the world around us. Again, this isn't an opportunity to evangelize, but we do, uh, we do bear witness to our faith by our actions. And so if you feel that calling, uh, we want you to reach out. And you can, if you have an idea for how you can support these, these efforts, uh, Nathan's going to give his email address so that if you're interested in volunteering, you can do that. If you uh, feel called to be part of one of those groups that provides food or something, email us, pastorpotluck at gmail.com, and, uh, and we, can, we can get that information to Nathan. Um, I know he's a busy guy, so we're going to try to help him as, as however we can. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for being with us on our call today. We learned a lot from you. Uh, we admire you, and we want to keep supporting you however we can. I just really want to say how much I appreciate your heart for serving our community in its in spiritual matters and, of course, also in being the hands and feet of Christ. And I really, really appreciate your time today. Yes, sir. Uh, that email address, real quick, it's rather lengthy. It's Murray at haywoodcountync.gov. I'll say it again. Haywood, or excuse me, Nathan.Murray at haywoodcountync.gov. Uh, last name spelled M-U-R-R-A-Y. And so he needs your name, your phone number, your email address, and, uh, that, and, and your willingness to be on that, that distribution list to ask for volunteers. The volunteer shifts usually are eight hours, uh, roughly, and they're on Wednesdays, is that right? Uh, yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday next week. We'll, we'll have, it's a little change, but eight hours both days. So it, you've got an opportunity right now to, uh, to, to get your name on the list and, and to start being part of, this, uh, part of this effort. So I hope that for those who are listening, you will, you will do so and you will uh, invite people, neighbors and friends, to, to participate as well. Thanks again, Nathan, and uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone.
For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we've been with Nathan Murray, and so I appreciate y'all's time. Thank you for listening. I hope to see you soon. Peace.